Um, I loved that conversation. Which one? That we just had. <laughs> JK's, Josh and you. Josh and your pickle. Josh, you so hard right there. You were like, which one? What's, what's wrong Wait. with her? Where? Right. So cool that we got to have Deb on. I think she's such oh. an amazing resource. And I think one of the things that I love most about her is that she really, I mean, she's been celebrating four years of sobriety. So she believes alcohol is not like no form of alcohol is good for you. And yet she creates such a soft space for anyone who is exploring their relationship, whether it's trying to remove alcohol completely, trying to diminish their drinking. She's just a freaking Deb. You're such a cool human. You are a badass. What did she call herself? A badass, alcohol-free badass. Yeah. She's just a badass you know, human, period. Yeah. She reminded me of, and this is a good thing, because I feel like I could just, I feel like she's the type of lady, friend, that you could go to her house, curl up on the couch with her, mm-hmm. and, like, have some hot cocoa, and watch a movie, and eat some popcorn. Like, that's my jack. That is my vibe. Yeah. She reminded me a little bit of, Melanie Linsky, the actor. Mm. Do you know who that mm. is? She plays on Yellow Google Jackets. Google does. Google Melanie sure Linsky. Does. Yeah, she's a New Zealand. She's New Zealand. Oh. Do you recognize her? She just has that aura, the vibe of. Oh calm, my gosh. Yes. Lovely. She, she's in Coyote Ugly. Coyote Ugly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's married to um what's that guy's name? Oh, from she was Three's in Company. Ever After. That's what I remember her from. She's from Ever After. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. These are all old movies, but and two and a half men. Great. Yep. She's great. Okay, I didn't ever She's watch great. that, but yeah. Anyway, that is the vibe, the energy that I felt yeah, like De- she's Deb very, put off. Just like, like big fan. Like yeah, like come in, come into my aura and be. I kind of wanted to enter peace. through the skin. The skin? What's Ew. this? The screen. <laughs> the screen. I wanted to enter through the screen and be like, let's hang out. Yeah. I really love the focus too on. We talked a lot about habits, why we're wired the way we are as humans, why change is hard. We talked about our dopamine levels and the impact of alcohol on them. And beyond habits, I think we talk a lot, right, about forming habits. This is something we discuss, but also like the breaking down of habits that are not serving us. Like, let's get to the root of what's not serving us. Let's break it down and then rebuild you up. Yeah. Like, it's like a free coaching session was kind of incorporated into that conversation. Yeah, it was, it was a good one. I enjoyed that chat. I did too. I think that people are going to walk away from this, whether I will say this too. If you're someone who's like, well, sober curious isn't for me. I'm not interested in, in navigating my relationship with alcohol or looking at removing or adjusting how much I'm drinking. I think this in general though, everyone's going through change. Change is the one constant we always have in our life. You're always going to have challenges that you're trying to navigate. We're always going to be really working on like ourselves. We talk about our inner child. We talk about compassion for ourselves. If you need a pep talk, this is your episode. Yeah. And a non-judgmental, like, it just feels so safe. And yep. I don't know, you can start exploring this, which is the purpose of Sober Curious, to explore yep. your relationship without judgment, shame, even though that is such a 
I feel like just such a big part of this process for people is having to deal with their, their shame around changing habits in general. It's just like so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. People are going to like this one. They're going to like it. And right off the the bat, she turns the tables on us and she asks us about (laughs) our relationship with alcohol. That's right. Yeah. We're on the hot seat. So I hope that our, I I don't hope, I know our community is going to enjoy this episode of divorcing alcohol. I'm naming it right now. Divorcing alcohol with Deb Mazner. Yeah. Perfect. Enjoy. Hey, Womeness, and welcome. I'm Genevieve Nutting, the founder of Womeness Community and host of the Womeness Podcast. And I'm so pumped you're here. My team and I have created this space for Womeness like you to feel seen, heard, and empowered. Each week, we'll launch a fresh episode with resources, stories from Womeness, and tools related to mindfulness, movement, and community. Cool. Well, gosh, More than just so a podcast, this is your weekly source of we energy and so connection grateful. with the I many inspiring and relatable voices of womenness. In a world where we are constantly on the go, let this be ago, your landing space where we can slow down and come together. This is the Womenness Podcast. Well, I quit drinking in January of 2020. And then I started Alcohol Tipping Point pretty much in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. So this will be your four-year anniversary of sobriety. Is that correct? Yes. Congratulations. Congratulations. On the dot, too. What's your, was it January 1st? Yes, I was one of those. (laughs) Hey, but you posted something so, I loved what you posted. I'm going to pull up on my phone because I don't want to butcher it. But I feel like. When people ask us, I mean, so we're curious now, I'd say in the last five minutes, five years, not five minutes, five years has really boomed. And so when we first started doing sober curious, even my mom, who's been sober for 35 years, was very questionable as to what it was. And I loved how you said this. You said, uh, we need things like dry January and sober curiosity to raise worldwide awareness, to the harmful effects of alcohol. We need safe, non-judgmental places for people to learn about alcohol and practice not drinking, not shame them into sobriety or send them back to drinking. And I think, gosh, if we could take that approach in so many different areas of life, like what a welcoming community we could create. So I think I'm just saying thank you for posting that because I think the space that you've created with Alcohol Tipping Point, it's supportive, it's educational it's there's humor in there. It's like reminding us to not take life quite so seriously, but can you tell me more about like what started alcohol tipping point besides your sobriety journey? Why did you want to create that space? Uh, well, I wanted to create it a, because I had told myself once I get to the other side of drinking, I'm, I'm going to help people. I'm going to use my background in nursing and psychology and health coaching and all that. And I'm going to help other people not feel so stuck or so alone. Mm. And then the other reason and what I'm, I'm more passionate about, well, I guess I always happen is just alcohol and your health and just getting the, the facts and the awareness out there that alcohol is shit for your health. 
And I think that that is a message that's slowly starting to seep into um, our culture. It It's going to take a while, but I love seeing that there's more and more mainstream uh, organizations, health organizations, public health policy, um, even like the Huberman Lab podcast, who's Dr. Huberman, he's a neuroscientist out of Stanford. He does a podcast. I mean, I think most people know it's like the number one podcast in the world, but he's non-biased, doesn't have issues with drinking or anything like that. But he did do a podcast on alcohol and your health. And that was the number one shared podcast out of all the podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Number one, alcohol and your mm-hmm. health. And he really um, just is helping break those, um, I guess, I think breaking the stigma of alcohol. And because for so long, it's been that you have a problem. It's your mm-hmm. problem. And, and the focus hasn't been on alcohol. And alcohol and the substance itself is the mm. bigger problem that we really need to talk about. So that's partly why I started Alcohol Tipping Point. And I think we are at this cultural tipping point now with alcohol. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, alcohol is the problem. Mm. And then, yeah, like you said, our culture, I, I've worked in the hospitality or the restaurant industry for many years. And it's just, it, when you just like kind of peel back the the like cultural blinders that you might have on and see like we just we're we are selling people poison mm-hmm. on mass in mass in these little buildings and then sending them back out into the world it's just like the it's the craziest concept is the craziest thing that we have created in America and and worldwide I'm sure but like we have these little places where people come they drink to excess and then we put them in cars and they go home hopefully not but often that happens and it's like and then there of course if something goes wrong there's consequences and it's all on the person but not on the system that has created this this weird so weird such a weird culture and then, you know, it's kind of a rite of passage to start drinking, right? Mm-hmm. It's That, again, is within our culture. And it's, yeah, just like, I never was curious about any of this in my 20s. It was just like, yeah, I'm 21 now. I was a kind of a goody two-shoes, so I didn't start drinking till I was 21. And then, you know, I felt like an adult. It's like this adult thing to do. And I don't know. And I was never curious about the the effects it was having on my health or why why I was drinking no just yeah it's just it's nuts to me the whole the whole thing (laughs) yeah and I think once you get out of it so are you I mean I know obviously you're doing sober curious for part of um your organization but where where are you guys with your relationship with alcohol and drinking Katie where are you are you sober or I'm not sober, but I'm also, I don't drink. I don't like drink every day. I, you know, maybe have a few drinks a week and I rarely drink to the point that I'm drunk anymore. I just, Mm. I remember the last time I was drunk and 
it was not pretty. And I don't, I don't like the feeling. I've actually never really liked that feeling of being drunk. I like being buzzed, I guess, but yeah, I'm not, I just, I don't, I don't have a issue with it. And I drink on occasion at home or when I'm out with friends. Yeah. I was just curious, but it sounds yeah. like you have more awareness now of alcohol and um, how it affects personally our health and then just the bigger societal impact too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think so. Jen. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I align very much with what Katie has said. And I, I think I always get very excited to do this course because the awareness it brings not just to my relationship with alcohol, I was just talking to Katie about, you know, how I had had a glass of wine a few nights ago. And, and I know this about myself, but especially during the winter, you know, and, and it's like you said, no amount of alcohol is good for us. You know, I think a lot of times we think of this like binge drinking, heavy drinking, that's where the danger is, but also even casual and lower levels of consumption also poses a threat to our health and to our life. And, and so I look forward to this coast course because it brings awareness to really like myself, my connection with self, um, my relationship with other behaviors and other habits in my life, um, especially since becoming mother. I mean, I remember having a night where I'd had a little bit more to drink than I felt comfortable with being around Theo. And it was very eye-opening. And I talked to my husband about it and I said, this is something that I've already been very aware of because of sober curious and because of with women S and it, it has changed my relationship with how I view alcohol and how I view mm, the way I want to interact with alcohol, if you will, you know, if you want to in that relationship, but then after having a child, it completely changed the way that I thought. And I know Deb, you're a, a mother as well. And I just remember thinking at any moment, if my child needs me, I need to be capable of being there for him even if I'm not with him, like if I'm out with my friends, if I'm, you know, and even if I know he has a babysitter, even if I know he's with grandma and grandpa, what happens if something happens to them and he needs me? So it just, the last 17 months even have really reframed my relationship. So yeah, I would agree with Katie. I, I don't drink in excess. I have found that I really navigate differently what I turn to when I, when I think about why I would have drank before to relax, to amplify an experience. And we kind of talked about this on our intro episode that I've looked at my toolkit of other things. And, and I think it's just, it's changing the conversation around alcohol. So kind of going back to what you said too, that it's, it's not the person it's the substance, but also it's getting to know you and, and your mm -hmm. behaviors too. So thank you for asking that question. I think it, it's an important question that if anyone's doing this course or they're curious about dry January, sober curious, uh, just to really sit with that question. Yeah. Why are we drinking? It's so interesting. Yes. Will you give us, uh, I mean, I'm sure this happened a few years ago, but can, I've never heard it. Um, your journey towards sobriety. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you to Jen for having me on the show a couple years ago to share about it. So I I started drinking not like you, Katie. <laughs> I started, I was 13 in junior high. I grew up in uh, Moscow, 
and I went to U of I. So I started drinking at a young age and I prided myself on being a party girl and, but also having good grades and, you know, just keeping my shit together. But I, I loved to party. I, I called myself a lush, you know, I was proud of my drinking. Um, and so that carried on through college. I got married Fast forward, came down to Boise, working as a nurse um, and still drinking and then still also taking these dry months. So you're you all are familiar with the race to Roby Creek and all of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I used to always take off uh, the 30 days before the race to Roby Creek and taking a break and just proving to myself like, okay, I don't have a problem. I'm fine. And then I would go back to drinking and drinking excessively, I would say. And it didn't really get to be a, I mean, it was always a problem. I will say that, but it didn't get to be a huge problem until after I had kids. And so when Jen, you were talking about like how you just want to be there for your kids. And oh, it's almost like I just felt that mom guilt, like a gut punch because of my drinking career when they were itty bitty. Because mm-hmm. I didn't quit drinking until they were um, like 10 and 13. And for me, motherhood was kind of what pushed me over the edge. It was also the start of mommy wine culture Mm -hmm. and, and just wine being mommy's little helper and whatnot. And it was a way for me to men or for me to physically be there with the kids, but mentally check out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I knew like, Oh, my husband's home from work. It's fine. This is Mm -hmm. safe. Um, It is how I kind of, I guess, justified the drinking, being around the girls when they were young. Uh, so I I took lots of breaks. I tried lots of different things, I, uh, including talking to like my healthcare provider. And because I was, quote unquote, high functioning, you know, I was like president of the PTA. I was doing all the things that every quote unquote, good mother should do, taking the kids to the library, art activities, volunteering in their schools. I went, I took time off when I had my girls and then I went back to work as a nurse in a a wellness department actually here at St. Al's. Um, So I was working as a nurse, never had a DUI, married, all of, you know, checking all the boxes. And anyone I would talk to about it, like professional wise, like, uh, my PA, or I even talked to someone at the Y about it. One of the trainers, it, it was, it was dismissed. It was just like, oh, you're fine. You know, you don't really have a problem. You're okay. Um, and so it wasn't until I would say, like, I guess it was 2018 that I first discovered Annie Grace and This Naked Mind. And I think you have that book on your, one of your recommended quit lit mm-hmm. book lists. Yeah, that is really good. So when I did that challenge, they she has a 30-day challenge called The Alcohol Experiment. That's when I learned more about the cultural 
beliefs about alcohol that were just wrong. So and even as a nurse, that's when I learned like, oh my gosh, this is really affecting our health. And how mm. have I been so blind to this? You're talking about putting your blinders on before, like, wow, how did I not realize this? So I had kind of, I educated myself. And then I also found within them was like a Facebook community. And it was other people like me, people, other moms and just working professionals and not your stereotypical alcoholic uh, person on the street, you know, that stereotype we have. It was just like normal, ordinary people who realize like, gosh, we're just drinking too much and it's really hard to change that. And, and forever, I will say, I was sober curious. I was trying to moderate. I was looking for that magic pill of moderation for years, decades. But it wasn't until like going through these breaks, having finding other people who I could relate with, you know, mm. other women that were going through the same thing that I was going through, the so-called gray area drinkers, people who hadn't hit rock bottom, who didn't identify as an alcoholic, who didn't fit in with AA or need to go to inpatient rehab. So once I was able to find this kind of subset sober curious community, then it really changed my thinking about drinking. And so I had this shift in thinking because before it was like, God, I'm just broken. I'm a failure. I'm broken. There's something really, really wrong with me because why can't I drink like other people? And so it was helpful to take out the shame and the stigma. What was so helpful for me was learning the facts about alcohol and then realizing I wasn't alone in this. And there are a lot of people like me out there. And then that was like a safe place for me to practice not drinking and a safe place for me to discover like, you know what, maybe drinking isn't giving as much as I thought, you know, maybe this isn't good for my health. I would always, I'd be the one trying to find all those good red wine studies and whatnot, like, see, it's okay to drink. Um, so it took me a while to get there, but finally I got to where I realized like, you know what, I'd rather have none than some. And I'd rather, for me, moderating was so hard and it took up so much mental chatter and it was constantly thinking about drinking. It was just easier for me to finally accept like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I've had my share of drinking. I know I've done enough like challenges and practices not drinking that I know that I feel so much better being alcohol-free than when I drink so that I was ready and I knew, I call it like I divorced alcohol. So I knew that January 1st, 2020, I was like, we're, we're done. Sign the papers. We're done. <laughs> so that is pretty much my story. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. I, mm. I love the divorce. Sign those mm. papers. Kick it out. <laughs> well, because it is a relationship. It's a... um. Mm a toxic relationship it became. Yeah. And I can, I can see the, um, what you're saying. It makes so much sense that having none was better than having some like that. The amount of energy you ex expend just like, well, okay, I'll have a drink tonight, but maybe I won't have a drink for two more nights. And just the constant like mm -hmm. conversation that you're having and negotiations yeah. and, 
yeah, I can see that being really exhausting and just not worth it. It's just easier to like remove that relationship. And it's a lot like a relationship with a toxic partner, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's such a good point to, you know, when I have these conversations and I think even when you're listening to these, if anything's standing out to you, you know, the idea of like having contracts with yourself, if I don't do this for this long, then I can do this, you know, or in the negotiations. Um, I think we can identify some answers to this, but why do you think people have such a challenging, such a challenge with, with quitting alcohol? Well, I think number one is because it is so accepted. It's Mm -hmm. so culturally accepted and a a lot of people do drink and maybe you've surrounded Mm -hmm. yourself with people who are drinkers, right? Mm -hmm. And so that can be hard to change. You know, we are tribal creatures and we want to be part of the pack and it's hard to go against the grain and it's hard to be different. And so I think there's a lot Mm -hmm. of that going on. I think a lot of people have ended up giving alcohol a job (laughs) So Mm, it's kind of been your go-to for feeling good. It's been your go-to for stress management, for uh, having fun, for dating, for having sex, for so many different Mm. things we've given alcohol a job to do, for relieving anxiety, all this stuff. And so I think when you take it away, some people think of it as deprivation instead of what you're gaining. And so I think there's a lot of beliefs tied up to alcohol and what it's doing for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that can make it really difficult for people to give up for sure. And then you're kind of like just faced with yourself. You let go of that. You (laughs) stop giving it the job. Mm -hmm to do all these things for yourself. And what do you have left? Like yourself to look in the mirror, to really examine, Mm -hmm. like, why do I need that? Why do I feel like I need alcohol to have fun or to show up Mm -hmm. in a social environment to like let loose with my partner? Or like, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. just maybe feel comfortable in a sexual situation. Like there's a lot to unpack there and to look at within yourself, which is like very uncomfortable. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think one of the biggest things is, you know, hu- as humans, I talked before about as humans, part of a tribe, but the other thing about, well, all organisms, really, we are hardwired for survival, right? And in order to survive, we are going to move towards pleasure and away from pain in the quickest mm. way possible. And so we have learned alcohol is the quickest way to move towards pleasure and away from pain. And so it has just become this learned ingrained habit. And like any habit, that can take some time to break. Sober Curious is a free hybrid course brought to you by Womeness with resources and tools for women to explore their relationship with alcohol, learn about what it means to be sober curious, and hear from leaders and inspiring individuals about their experience with sobriety. If you are enjoying this course or have enjoyed our other free hybrid courses we offer, including Eight Pillars of Wellness, Strength in Being, as well as other offerings throughout the year, we invite you to make a donation or consider being a community partner sponsor. 
Donations and community partners help us to continue to provide free, accessible content designed to empower and enrich our community. A donate link is in our bio as well as in the show notes of this podcast, or you can email hello at womenscommunity.org with I want to be a sponsor to be featured in our newsletter, have your own community partner thank you shout out in our podcast, as well as additional opportunities to get your name and organization in front of our community. To all our former and current community partners and sponsors, thank you so much for your continued support in allowing us to create financially inclusive and accessible content and experiences to empower and enrich our community to live their boldest lives through mindfulness, movement, and community. We are so very grateful for you, and we could not do what we do without you. Yeah. I was thinking about like what alcohol brings to me. And I said earlier, like I do enjoy having like a little alcohol buzz. I don't enjoy going all the way to drunkenness. But then as I was kind of reflecting before this conversation, it was like, well, like kind of speaking to your point about getting to that pleasure point, what else, what else is there that you can bring into your life that like, maybe this is not the greatest comment, but that gives you that little buzz, like that makes your like body feel good. And you're just like, you know, I, mm. I don't know. I don't want to be triggering people with like, Oh no, kind of I, I, but... think, I think it's a very real question. I mean, we wouldn't mm. drink if we didn't get a benefit out of it. And, mm. and so, yeah, yeah. I mean, you definitely get that buzz. And so that's one of the things like I tell people like, okay, you're, you're not going to get a buzz from other things. But mm. I think what people don't realize is that alcohol is creating an artificial dopamine high, an artificial buzz, if you will, right? And so that means you um, have to try even harder to get that kind of dopamine high from things that would naturally feel good to you. So your your dopamine levels are just out of whack. And, and a really good book to read about this is called Dopamine Nation by Anna Lemke. Uh, it's really fascinating and it's it's about addiction in general. Uh, but, you know, alcohol being one of the most highly addictive substances because it creates that dopamine, uh, high dopamine release and that feels good, right? And so that means we are at a deficit when we don't have the dopamine. And so mm -hmm. we are looking for more dopamine, looking for more ways to feel good. And we know that we can just drink alcohol to feel good right away. And the interesting thing is um, over the long term, that's making your dopamine levels lower. So that makes everything else not feel as pleasurable. So once you remove the alcohol, and your body gets a chance to reset all your neurotransmitters. And it's not just dopamine, it's GABA, it's serotonin, um, it's other neurotransmitters. But once, once you get back to normal, to baseline, you will start to feel enjoyment and joy and pleasure out of more ordinary things, out of taking walks, out of just uh, petting your dog, out of babies, out of 
uh, move. I mean, everything is just more pleasurable because the alcohol has numbed everything. And that includes all the good feelings too. So you, it's, it's like, it's almost just like the fog has lifted and everything is just more colorful and more beautiful and clearer. And so that makes life more enjoyable in a natural way. How long does it take if you're like a, you're abusing alcohol, how long, and you decide to stop, how long does it take for your body to recalibrate and get back into that balanced state? Yeah, everyone's different. I, um, for some people, it's that 30 days, that magical 30 days. For other people, it might take months. And then for if you've been like a really heavy drinker, it might take it a year to really get back to baseline. Mm -hmm. But I think the positive thing about drinking and your brain, you know, we used to think that our brain was fixed, you know, like you killed so many brain cells. (laughs) And I know that kind of kept me stuck for a bit too. I was like, well, fuck it. I guess I've already screwed myself. But we now know that our brain is uh, capable of change and we're capable of making new neural circuits, new neural pathways, and it's capable of healing. Our whole body is capable of healing. And so I think that gives people hope like, oh, this is reversible and I can feel better and my liver can heal and my um, skin can get better. And my depression, for a lot of people, they start to feel less symptoms of depression and anxiety, which might've been the reason they were drinking in the first Mm. place. But part of that was because again, like their hormones, their neurotransmitters were out of whack. And so it's a good question because it it people are like, what? When will I feel better? And yeah, I would say 30 to 90 days for most people, but depending on how much you've been drinking and for how long. Yeah, I think it's important to even call out that later time, that maybe year mark for people. It's like a like hope, you know, like I'm going to, mm. I can feel better. This will change things will start getting back to balance as opposed I'm the type of person that's like I want to like an immediate result and I think a lot of us are like that like I want to feel like a brand new woman the next day and that's not really how our our systems work (laughs) but I also I'll be the type of person that's like well fuck this isn't working I'm just gonna like Mm. it I don't feel any different. I'm going to just continue doing what I'm doing because I might as well feel good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of people feel that way too. A a lot of for, I mean, it's interesting because now I've been doing this for a couple of years. I'm running these dry month challenges and whatnot. And uh, for the most people, they're like, wow, within seven days, they feel better. They sleep better, more energy, more clarity. They're starting to notice the positive effects. And mm. then for other, for some people, you know, unfortunately, they're like, I'm not sleeping or I'm not feeling it yet. And then they get frustrated, like you said, to your point. Yeah. Um but yeah, I just, I'm like, stay the course. It's your sign that your body is healing itself. And with this, so you are a health and wellness uh, coach, you run these dry courses with your experience. Why 
why, what do you think makes forming these new habits challenging and, and how do we rewrite these dopamine habits? Ooh, well, I mean, any habit change is difficult, right? Mm -hmm. Because we are, a lot of times we're just on autopilot with so much of what we do. And, and that has served us well because we don't have to think about things so much, right? And so it can be hard to first break a bad habit because it's a habit. It's something that you've just automatically done to without thinking. And so what can be difficult for people is, I think one thing that can be difficult for people is expecting perfection when they're making a change. And so that's why I use, you know, practice not drinking. You don't you have to be perfect at it. Why don't you learn some new tools? Why don't you learn to slow down, to pause before you reach for that drink and see what is really going on, you know, check in with yourself. And we are such creatures of habit anyway. You know, I was in the habit of coming home from work getting in the garage after I parked the car, going for a drink, like right away. That's just what I did. And so I had to slow down and just replace my drink with something else. And for me, it was NA beer that was really helpful. Some people find mocktails helpful, but that was enough of a change for me. This was just one tool of many, but that was enough to kind of help me uh, make the bigger change. So it, acknowledging like maybe there's just a small tweak to your habit that you're making. I, I think another thing that is really difficult with any of these habits that involve removing something is that they're in, in the world of like health coaching, they're called dead man habits. Have you heard of that? <laughs> I had this no. funny, my um, health coach uh, trainer was from, uh, North Carolina, and he sounded like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> okay, oh, you're but good he's at that. like, all right, all right, and he was just super cool. But he was always like, "Don't make a dead man's goal." You know what a dead man's goal is? If a dead man can do it, and so <laughs> it would be I like love that, right? So it wouldn't be like, okay, I'm not drinking, I'm not smoking, I'm mm -hmm. not eating mm -hmm. sugar, whatever. Well, that's a difficult goal to do right. for your brain. So it's focusing on what are you doing instead? Focusing mm -hmm. on what are you gaining? What are you replacing? You know, maybe you're replacing your drink with, like I said, the NA drink or a different activity, or you're changing up your routine or something. So whenever we're taking something away when we're making goals, that can be really hard for people. Um, a book I love is Atomic Habits. That would have been on your list too, right, Jen? Yeah. Yeah. We love that one. I love that book because that book is about building good habits, but it's also about breaking bad habits, mm -hmm. which I think we spend a lot of time learning and talking about building good habits. I don't think people spend as much time learning about breaking bad habits, so he just has some like really great tools in there, like making it more visible mm. and that for you, you know, when you're removing alcohol, how can you make it more visible? And that could be something like where you're 
keeping a piggy bank and putting all your, what you would have spent on alcohol, which for a lot of people can really add up, putting that in Mm -hmm. your piggy bank or a separate checking account or something, or for some people to track it, to visually see that they're tracking it. Or, um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of getting into little tools and I don't know if I answered your, oh, why is it so hard yeah. was part yeah, of Yeah, and, and how to change those dopamine habits. I think that's super helpful. Yeah. I think you're right. We do, you know, in coaching, a lot of times it is like, how do we create a new habit? How do we stack habits on top of habits that yeah. we're already doing? But you don't talk about like the hard part and, and forming new habits is challenging, right? But when you already have something that's so ingrained in, in you and in your muscle memory and that is, and people start to associate that as part of their identity too. Because yes. as you said, you are the party girl, you're fun. People want to be around you. And we've talked about this in another episode. So what happens when you're not the party girl anymore and you're trying to relearn who you are? This is now not just about the relationship with alcohol. This is the getting to know, you know, who is the dev? Like, what did you learn about yourself then when you had to kind of strip away that party girl and not saying you can still be, you can still be the life of the party and not drink alcohol. So maybe you're still the life of the party, but what did you learn about you and, and, and who you are? Well, I learned that maybe I don't like to go to parties. (laughs) Maybe I'm more (laughs) introverted than extroverted, but I also learned you know, and I, I learned this through work when I went back to work um, after having kids. I worked in this small department in this wellness department. And I mean, ask anybody there I was like the silliest, weirdest person there <laughs> without drinking. Yeah. And so it was a reminder, like, I don't need alcohol to be to have fun and be silly and, and be mm-hmm. funny. Like, I don't need it. So I, I learned that. Um, I will say going to your identity. Uh, that's another thing I'm big on is like, okay, what do you want your new identity to be? And for some, yeah. it's hard to go from being a drinker to being sober or whatnot. I mean, that's why I call myself an alcohol free badass, <laughs> but some people, which I aren't. love by the way, <laughs> But some people aren't there yet. And I get that. And I had just, I just want to share this because I thought this was so good. But someone was, I was listening to like a best of podcast or something, but they were talking about identity. And this, this uh, guest was talking about, I want to identify as a learner. I am a learner. And that is going to serve me in all other areas of my life. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to identify as a learner. I love that. Um, I love that. Mm-hmm. Isn't it good? Mm-hmm. And I mm. think one of the biggest things I learned and I'm still working on is just learning that like I'm enough and I am mm-hmm. worthy no matter what. And I think a lot of drinking and trying to fit in and prove myself, being a perfect parent, perfect worker, wife, all of that was related to like not feeling enough or worthy. And mm-hmm. I think that it's so important, you know, what you think about when a baby is born, they don't have to prove their worth. Mm-hmm. They just are worthy because they exist. 
And just like, mm. you know, the trees outside or, or my dog who's just laying there, like they don't have to prove their worth. They're worthy. They deserve to be here just because they exist. And for me to kind of relearn that and not have to be proving anything else was so powerful. And I think it, like a lot of people just need to learn that lesson again and again, like, Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm okay. And I'm worth it just as I am right now. And I don't need anything extra or I don't need to do anything external to prove that. Coming up for our events for Womenist, we have Womenist in the Wilderness on Saturday, January 27th. We are doing a little a little getaway, if you will. And we are inviting you to join us in McCall, for some lovely snowshoeing in the wilderness, Payette National Forest. We'll meet you over at Bear Basin. More information can be found on Eventbrite as well as through the link at the bottom of this podcast. Uh, Keeping in mind that we do encourage you to carpool and the Forest Service does request a $5 fee to help maintain the trails for parking here. Our second opportunity to connect is a fun Galentine's Day for you. This is on Tuesday, February 13th from 6 to 8. We invite you to join us to learn all about succulents, get your hands a little dirty, and create your very own succulent garden while getting to know other amazing women in Boise. Uh, Your ticket will include your reservation expert. Did you hear that? Expert. You're going to learn how to keep those succulents alive, which for me, I know is a huge win in my book. Uh, But expert succulent instruction and use of tools, one four inch modern ceramic plantern, three succulents, as well as the soil and decorative toppings. And you get to meet Martha over at A Succulent Day, who is on one of our previous podcasts talking about environmental wellness. Additional information can be found at the description link, show notes in this podcast, as well as through our website. Last but not least, we are elated to announce Motivation Through Movement is back. Save the date for Saturday, May 18th. Tell your sister, tell your best friend who lives across the country that she better book a ticket because we want to see you there. We are going to be bringing you movement leaders, skill builders, meditation guide, keynote speaker, and our community all in one space. Again, that's Saturday, May 18th at Jump. We cannot wait to see you there for our fourth annual Motivation Through Movement. Yeah, it's mm. crazy. It's nuts how we become so disconnected from that. I've been working on my that same topic or reminding myself. And one of the things I've been doing lately, I I do like a lot of inner child's woo woo like work, right? And so I've just been thinking about my inner child and like she's worthy. If she's worthy. I am worthy. I am still worthy. Like I have Mm -hmm. so much love for my inner child. Like I'm obsessed with her. I think she's the fucking coolest, like all, all ages of her. I'm just obsessed. And I, but I don't extend that same love and worth to myself in the present moment. I'm realizing that's like, where is that disconnect coming from? Like, I know that she's worthy. Like, where am I missing? Where is that? Like, yeah, that disconnect. So I've been really working on that, like making those connections. Re- like you were talking about our 
our neural pathways, like reestablishing those pathways like of worth. And I don't have to do anything. I don't have to like have a like $100,000 career. And, you know, I don't need to prove myself outside of myself. I would imagine with people, I mean, with struggling to get sober, that there's a lot of that that comes into it. I think we talked about this a little in our last episode, um, that worthiness, the failure, if you're like, quote unquote, fail. Um, But that like reminding ourselves, we're not really, we're not biologically, we are not good at change. Like Mm -hmm. that's not how we are really programmed. We want to stay, our brains want to stay the course, even if it is something that we know is not good for us. Our Mm -hmm. brains want that. It requires less energy to continue down that path and we know the outcome. So there's no, it's safer as opposed to blazing a new trail. So for people who are on this journey, I think it just the reminder is have so much compassion for yourself, have so much love for yourself for even starting this journey because yeah. change, regardless of what it is, is hard and we are not wired for it. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said so much. And in a lot of people who are changing their drinking, uh, and I know I was definitely this way, I was full of so much shame. And I would beat myself up every morning. And it was so difficult. And it wasn't until I could be kind to myself, like you were saying, to I could like parent myself in a way and take care of myself and be compassionate, like that I could really change my drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that, I just like sitting here and I'm thinking about other, we, I think we maybe talked about this on this episode or maybe it was another episode, but just how this, the framework behind it is so relatable in in other areas of life that people might want to change. So even if someone already has stopped drinking or, you know, they've changed some of these habits where like, I think of other habits I've had, you know, we talked about this with food or with exercise or body image and there's this version of you existing right now. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, this could be another conversation. Like, is it easy to practice forgiveness with former or easier to practice forgiveness and compassion for former versions of ourselves? Because we've already worked through like healing from some of that than it is for like the present version of ourselves. And that's a whole can to open, but gosh, just this idea of compassion when whatever you're going through, the challenges, the, the change, the learning you know, when you say I am enough, we've had this conversation before where some people would say like, oh, it's such a fluff mantra. And it's why do you need to tell yourself like men don't need to tell themselves they're enough. Actually they do. You know, every human needs to hear that they're enough because just as you are existing in this form, whatever you're going through, you're not like a bad person. You're not doing bad things. You know, you are worthy of this compassion as you go through this change and it doesn't need to be perfect. So I just want to put all of that that you both just said on like a poster and look at on a daily basis. I think that would make life so much more enjoyable for so many people. Yeah. There's a lot of suffering out there Mm -hmm. just trying to achieve this ideal, whatever it is. Yeah. 
Can we ask you, we have two questions we like to end with our guests, but I also know you're pretty fun to play some uh, lightning round questions with. So do you have time for some, I was going to call them hot spot questions. I don't think that's lightning round or hot ticket. What am I looking for? Uh, lightning round. Lightning round. Yeah, I'd love to do a lightning round. Fun. Okay. Okay. Uh, Let's see here. Let's start with favorite day of the week. Saturday. Saturday. Okay. Why? That's not lightning round. I'm so bad at lightning rounds. I know. (laughs) Have it off. It's just, I want to know more. Yeah. It's just a fun day of the week for everybody. I just want to dig and get below the surface and understand more about people. Um, Okay. What's your go-to jam or a new jam that you like to listen to right now? I'm loving listening to, oh my gosh. Well, my 14 year old now plays music in the car and that's really fun. We've been listening (laughs) to, to Mitski and she's turning me on to like new music. And so Mitski, M-I-T-S-K-I. Yeah. And slow dive is another but oh cigarettes after sex, <laughs> which is a funny name to I, I also to hear your daughter say your little cute 14 year old daughter yeah. say really loves cigarettes after sex. And I was like, the You're band like, coming in. The band. I'm gonna what? <laughs> <laughs> but they're actually kind of mellow, but it's it's fun okay. to discover new music. I love new music and I don't think I've heard of either of those, so I'm gonna put those on my my repertoire um favorite place to travel to sawtooths Mm, agree see i didn't have to ask why because i understand why right yeah (laughs) uh what's your favorite mocktail ah favorite mocktail Hmm. or ingredients to put in a mocktail I like a little bite. So if I could get like a bitter or an apple cider mm. vinegar into, I mean, honestly, you could just do it with seltzer water. And mm-hmm. if you want something sweet, you could put a little juice in there, but punch it up with some apple cider vinegar or a bitter. Okay. okay. I'm going to have to try it. Who is your first celebrity crush? First celebrity crush. Let me think. It's been so long. I'm an old lady. I know. I I was thinking back. I was like, who is mine? Oh, Patrick Swayze. Let's just say, you said Patrick Swayze. I'm going to just say Brad Pitt. Mm, Yeah, that's a good one. I think mine was Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. I could see that. (laughs) Yeah. Cute little boy next door. Mm. Uh, What was your last Halloween costume? Oh, last Halloween costume. It's been a minute since I've dressed up. My husband and I used to go to a Halloween party. Oh, I know what it was. It was, it, it, ironically, you remember when there was the Ebola outbreak? Mm-hmm. And we had, so we dressed up in like suits and masks and all of that. And then who knew that a few years later would be yeah. the COVID outbreak? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, what has been your favorite age so far for me I'm so like kid focused I'm like for my kids (laughs) the focus back on you right oh my gosh well I I'm loving my 40s because they've Mm. been a decade of discovery you know I quit 
drinking when I was 42 and now I am 46. I'll be 47 this year. And it's just been really a lot of growth and travel and being here for my kids and getting Mm. to an age where I just don't care as much what other people think. So I'll just say like 40s. (laughs) I love that. Decade of discovery. Yes. Our last couple of questions that we love to ask our guests, one of those being, what is something you are manifesting for yourself? And then what are your hopes for the future generation of womeness? Oh, okay. I'm manifesting for myself writing a book. Oh, I love that for you. Yeah. Um, and then my hope is for the future of womeness in our area. Yeah. Yeah, or just like the generation of women as coming up, you know, your daughters or. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, I hope that they have freedom. <laughs> I don't want to get too political. Okay. This I is your hope. Freedom. This is I your want space them to, to have um, so much free. I want them to have freedom of choice. I want them to have like political freedom, what that means, but also personal freedom. I want them mm. to feel comfortable in their own skin uh, Mm. to recognize like they are enough and they can chart their own course and so that Mm -hmm. is really what I want for them freedom Mm. I love that how old are your kiddos now 14 and 17 and both girls or one girl one boy both girls both girls (laughs) oh boy yeah it's fun is one a senior She's a junior. So I have a, okay. a freshman and a junior. Mm, cool. It's going so quick. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. They say it and I heard it and I still say it like the days are long, but the years are short. If that isn't the truth, <laughs> I feel the days are long <laughs> very much right now. Is there anything else though, that you want to share with our community? Um, where can people find you? Well, I, if you're listening to this, I just want you to know that I'm so proud of you for listening to a podcast mm. about sober curiosity and for thinking, even thinking about changing your drinking. I think that is huge and that should be applauded. I want you to also know like you're not alone and there are so many resources out there to help you. There are more than the usual two ways to quit drinking or change your drinking or whatever that looks like for you. And you can find me, Alcohol Tipping Point is what I'm under. So I have a podcast. I have a website. It's just alcoholtippingpoint.com. I have lots of free resources on there too, like a free 10-day challenge and mocktail recipe booklet. I have a free download, 100 questions to change your drinking, which is just really thought-provoking if you're wanting to do some journaling about it. And then I'm on Instagram at alcoholtippingpoint. Or I guess it's just at alcoholtippingpoint on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, I think that covers it. Perfect. Well, you're so wonderful. And thank you also for creating a space where that that gray space for people to explore if they want to take this further and to you know I think you're right it's a lot about removing the stigma and the shame and gosh you just you I'm just really grateful that there's a space out there like the one you're creating so thank you 
Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I just Absolutely. want people to know that that you're not broken. You can change mm. and you're not alone. That's beautiful. Yay. Thank you so much, Deb. I cannot wait until the next time that you're on the podcast. This time it can't be as long away. The distance oh. in between. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not the, not so the distance is like how far long. I would time. love it. Anytime. Yeah. Well, Thank we'll you. be in touch then. Sounds yeah. good. Bye. Thank you, Deb. <laughs> Thank you, Deb. Thank you. <laughs> Have okay. a good weekend. You, you bye. too. Bye. See ya. Hey, Womenists, thanks for being a part of our community and listening to this episode of the Womenists Podcast. Here at Womenists, we are committed to growing and evolving as a community together. If you found this episode brought value to your life, share it with a Womenists who empowers you. And while you're at it, help other Womenists find this podcast by giving it a like, subscribing, and leaving a review. You can also find additional resources and opportunities to connect with Luminous by subscribing to our newsletter linked in the show notes, as well as on our Instagram, Luminous Community. Until next time, be good to yourself and be good to others. We'll see you at the next episode of the Luminous Podcast.